Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to listen up. Stay with me. It will be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, and as we always say, done with no manipulation. That's right, because we don't have hidden agendas. We're not trying to solicit money. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to ask you to join anything. The only thing that I'm trying to do is to communicate accurate information, information that will assist you, help you in verifying and identifying the plan of God for your life. And if I'm able to do that, then you can take that information and orient and adjust to the plan. It's up to you. But you only have one shot at life. You're not going to get two or three shots at it. And you want to have the best life possible. And I can assure you that God the Father laid out a plan in eternity past where you could have the most fantastic happiness, security, and peace the world has ever known. And so I hope you'll listen to our show. I hope you pay attention, and I hope you'll make the application. Because my job is always to communicate, communicate truth. This show is about content. No, I'm not a comedian. I am a communicator. And so if I can give you accurate content, then God the Holy Spirit, if in fact you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he can capture that information. And he can cycle it into your brain where you understand it, you comprehend it. So I communicate, God the Holy Spirit will capture it, you will comprehend it, but now comes the big thing. Once you have an academic understanding of what we're teaching, then you must convert it. You must convert it by faith. That's the only way you can make the application into your life. I communicate, God the Holy Spirit captures that information, you comprehend it by means of the Holy Spirit, and then you must convert it. Comprehending it in the Greek New Testament is called knowledge or gnosis, but the application of that knowledge is called epinosis or full knowledge. There's a big difference between understanding and application. And so, in spite of what you may understand, if you don't apply it, it does not do you any good at all. So I hope you're listening. I hope you're paying attention. Because I'm talking about a brand new way of thinking. I'm talking about a new life and the mandates for the new way of living given in the Bible. You know, the plan of God revolves around three things. First of all, salvation. That's you coming into the plan. You getting to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Unfortunately, many people think they can buy their way in. Many people think they can earn their way in or work their way in. And that's just not possible because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's how you get in. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. What does it mean to have faith? It means to believe. What am I supposed to believe? We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he went to the cross and bore our sin on his own body. That's why the Bible says, He who knew no sin 
was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. So when we come to the cross by faith, believing who he is, because this is what he said in John 6, this is the will of the one that sent me, that you believe on me whom he has sent. And that's exactly what his hearers and his life did not do. They did not believe, especially the religious crowd. They did not believe that he was the anointed son of God. Even after he resurrected from the dead, even after he walked out of the grave and was seen by hundreds of people, many people still did not believe, and they do not believe today. If you are a believer, you are in the plan of God. You have been saved. And Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I give unto you eternal life, and you will never perish, and neither shall anyone ever pluck you out of my Father's hand. That's a tremendous, a tremendous encouragement. So we start by entering the gate of salvation, and then we move into what's called spirituality. And you say, what is that? Well, the Bible commands all of us to be a spiritual person, not a carnal Christian, but a spiritual Christian. The difference is this. The carnal Christian lives under the influence of his sin nature. The spiritual Christian lives under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit. Spirituality is different from maturity. Maturity is the Christian living under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, combined with maximum content of the Word of God in his soul. So if you're a Christian and you understand how to be filled with the Holy Spirit by rebounding, using problem-solving device number one that we've taught many times, and if you're filled with the Spirit, and if you're learning God's Word under a well-qualified pastor, somebody that can teach you God's Word, if you're learning it and applying it, then you are moving towards maturity. And what does that do? Well, it does a lot of things. Number one, it guarantees you maximum happiness in your life. Number two, it guarantees your family maximum blessing by association. And number three, it guarantees your nation by blessing by association. This is what the Word of God teaches. You can be happy, and you can give maximum blessing to your family and your nation. Spirituality and maturity are the quest of the believer. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are spiritual. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit because you have unconfessed sin in your life, you are carnal. Carnality is not where you want to be. Carnality is not ever going to glorify God. Carnality is you not using the problem-solving devices. It's you resorting to your own fleshly desires. Remember, there are three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And carnality is you giving in to any of these. But this happiness that I'm talking about, this is a review of these ten problem-solving devices. And problem-solving device number nine is, in fact, called happiness. It is the most fantastic problem-solving device. For any mature believer, listen, if you are a mature Christian, this happiness must be directed towards self. It guarantees you that you never, ever have to be unhappy. Is that a promise in the Bible that I never have to be unhappy? And the answer is yes. Listen to John 15, 11. Jesus told his disciples these words, I have taught you these things, that my happiness may be in you, 
and that your happiness might be fulfilled. Do you want to be happy? Then you need to learn what the disciples had to learn. It's imperative that you learn that. So Luke 11, 27 and 28 is the key to it. Here Jesus says, happiness belongs to those who hear my Father's word and who keep it. You see, this whole passage in Luke 11, 27 and 28 was directed towards a woman who interrupted Jesus as he was given a message. Let me read it to you this morning. And it came to pass as he spoke these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice, and she said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast on which you nursed. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. A certain woman lifted up her voice. Her voice, the Greek word phone, P-H-O-N-E. Sounds like we get the word phone from that, doesn't it? Phone, she lifted up her voice. Lifted up, epiro in the Greek New Testament, E-P-A-I-R-O, epiro. This meant she talked louder than anyone else in the crowd, louder than Jesus. So here is our Lord giving a message, talking to people that had come to hear him, and in the back of the room, much like some instigator would interrupt a political rally, she jumped up and began to shout these words, Jesus, Jesus, happiness belongs to the womb that bore you and to the breast on which you nursed. And I'm sure everybody turned around and looked and thought, who is this idiot? She had an emotional experience. Maybe she had a child of her own. Maybe she had a son of her own. But she had an emotional experience, and it led her to do something stupid. Stupid? That's right. You do not interrupt Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he's speaking. That's rather stupid to think that what you have to say is more important than what he has to say. But now our Lord is very gracious. He didn't say, throw the lady out. He simply rebuked her. She interrupted the Savior's message. And the message was about how the Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit by claiming that the miracles he did were in fact coming from Satan. That's what the message was about. And so this is how she interrupted him. She corrected him. In, in Luke eleven twenty one, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger one comes and overcomes him, he shall take it from him all of his armor in which he trusted. You see, there's a person that's trusting in his weapon, not in his Lord. You know, that's a big deal in America today. The government seems to want to take our weapons away from us. But this is not where our security lies. Our security lies in Jesus Christ, our Savior. He knows everything that we face every day. And human solutions are never the solutions. Nothing wrong with owning a weapon. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that your security is not in the weapon. It's in the person of Christ. So most of this passage in this, in this Luke thing here, in Luke 11, is dealing with demon possession of unbelievers. And here's this woman 
we we don't know if she was a believer or not. I assume she may be, but I know she was demon influenced. She was influenced to interrupt his message. The whole idea here was to divert the message that Jesus Christ was giving away from the subject that he was talking about, to divert his attention, to divert the message. And so if she could interrupt him, and if she could shout these words out, then instead of thinking about what he's been teaching about demon influence and what's going on in the country and the religious crowd, she could get people to think about something else. Isn't that amazing? Our Lord had fantastic isthesis. He is God, you know. So he understood exactly in his perspicacity, he understood what she was up to. He had just finished admonishing Martha for griping about having to fix the food all by herself in Luke 10, 38. And then he has to deal with this woman. Mary chose the one thing that is necessary, he told Martha, and that is the words of our Lord. Nothing was going to stop Mary from getting face-to-face with the Savior. And that doesn't stop this woman. This woman doesn't want to be face-to-face with him. She wants to interrupt him and tell him what she thinks. Now, Jesus replied to her, and she says first to him, Blessed is the womb. This is her words now, not mine. Blessed is the womb. She uses the Greek word makarios for blessed. M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. You say, why do you use that? Because this was not written in English. This is not written in the archaic language of the King James Bible. This was written in the Greek New Testament in the Koine dialect of the Greek New Testament. And the word used here is makarios and could be better translated happiness. Happiness is the womb that bore you, she's saying. The word for womb is koilia, K-O-I-L-I-A, koilia, meaning the hollow. And so here is where she begins to make an issue out of the womb and out of human life, and that's not the issue that Christ was talking about. Here's a couple of principles. Happiness is not related to the womb. If we learn that, we'll be a lot better off. Bearing children will not fulfill our lives. So many people think, if I could just have a kid or two or three, I'll be happy. And that's not true. Happiness is not related to children. Happiness is not related to marriage. Actually, marriage compounds problems, and children triples and compounds problems. See, mothers can have pride in their children, just like fathers. I have tremendous pride in all four of my children. But that's not the happiness God designed for me. That's temporal happiness. You know, and sometimes they make me unhappy when they make a decision that I don't particularly think is a good decision. They don't always ask my opinion, but I'm free to think something. So this whole thing was a trap, a trap to lure Jesus away from what he was teaching down to a road he did not need to go on. The road to the womb. She won't talk about the womb. And then she wants to talk about the breast. The mastos, M-A-S-T-H-O-S, the breast. 
the breast that thou nursed upon. Well, most men do want to talk about the breast, but the problem is there's no happiness there either. So Jesus interrupts her. He stops her. Once she started this silly conversation, he interrupts her. And he said to her, Yea, rather. That is a very strong contradiction. What he basically said is, Wrong. Wrong. I don't think so. And this was not a rude rebuking. It was a gentle reminder. You are wrong, lady. Happiness is not related to the womb, and it is not related to the breast. You know, she was saying that, I bet your mother is so happy. I bet your mother, if she could see you, she'd be so happy. Happiness belongs <clears throat> to the womb that bore you and the breast on which you nursed. Now, that's not true. And so he said, you are wrong. And then he said, happiness belongs to those that hear, hear, you, you hear that? The word of God and keep it. Happy are they that hear my Father's word and keep it. Hearing means to listen and to understand, to perceive. And then the word keep it means to apply. When you put these two things together, hear, and then add to that keep, now we have what's called momentum in the Christian life. All momentum in the Christian life is related to you hearing and keeping God's word. So when you hear it, if you listen, if you pay attention, and you know, it's funny, when you listen to the teaching of the Word of God, do you take notes? Do you jot down things in your Bible? Do you make notes in the margin? Do you have a notebook where you write notes? I would encourage you to do that, even when you're listening to this show. I would encourage you to get a notebook and take notes, because you can always go back and read over the notes and rethink the information. That's how the application comes. You can write the scriptures down and read them for yourself. Some pastors will give you notes when they teach, but it's imperative that you take notes so that you can apply what was taught. So to hear means to listen and understand, to perceive with the senses. And then the Bible says to keep it, to guard it, to watch it, to put it to work. The words of Jesus are a great treasure, a great treasure to be guarded. And that's why the Bible tells us in James 1.22, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. In other words, the hearer deceives his own self. He thinks he's done something great. So a person goes to church on Sunday morning, hears a sermon, Sits there, pays attention, hears what's said, walks out, goes to lunch, goes home, watches the football game, or does whatever he does with the family. It hasn't done him any good if he didn't apply it. And it hasn't done him any good if he can't retain it. Well, what, what was it? What was it, honey, the preacher said? Well, if you had written it down, you could go back and read it for yourself. That's why taking notes is critical. If all you do is sit there and listen, you might retain about 10% of it. 
But if you will take notes and then go back and reread your notes, you have a lot better opportunity to retain much more and apply. Keeping what you hear is metabolizing God's Word. Sooner or later, you're going to have to be tested on what you learn. And so this woman said happiness was related to the hollow of the womb, but Jesus said no. Happiness is related to the Word of God, Bible doctrine. This takes us to the doctrine of happiness. It's a critical doctrine that we all have to learn. We all have to understand that true biblical happiness is there, and it must be learned. Listen to Proverbs 3.13. Happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who obtains understanding. Wisdom and understanding must be learned. You do not inherit that. Happiness belongs to the one who finds wisdom and to the one who obtains understanding, intelligence. To know your options, you don't walk around in a fog all the time. You have to understand what's going on. I remember the illustration about a lighthouse and a Navy ship in a very foggy night. And I remember the Navy captain being told by the forward observer that there's a ship off the bow, there's a light off the bow, when actually it's the lighthouse. And the Navy captain got on the horn and said, the vessel must move, you must take a side. This is a U.S. Navy vessel coming, you're going to be rammed, you have to move. And the lighthouse radioed back, take your best shot, I'm a lighthouse. Now, no understanding would have led to that Navy ship cracking up because they thought the light was something else. If you depend on any person or any set of circumstances to make you happy, you are being weak and you do not have true happiness. If you're depending on winning the lottery to make you happy, if you're depending on finding the right mate, if you're depending on having grandchildren or having children, and you think this is the key to happiness, you don't understand God's plan. You're never going to have the unique life called the spiritual life. The mature believer doesn't depend on people or circumstances. You see, pseudo-happiness, false happiness, is Satan's attempt to counterfeit the true happiness that God gives. And you want to know what that true happiness is called? I'm going to give you a word. Listen carefully. It's called contentment. 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 It is the blessing of God for all church-age believers by learning his plan. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. He said, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, it's not even an issue. I am content. That's the key to happiness. Pseudo-happiness, or the happiness that Satan may try to throw at you, can be some sort of stimulation. Let's take a vacation. Let's take a trip. Let's go to the movie. Let's go out to eat. You know, that makes me happy. Well, that's fine. That's fun. That's entertainment. But it is not permanent. It's only 
momentary. It depends on a set of circumstances and an environment that is pleasant. What if you go out to eat and you sit next to an idiot that interrupts your dinner? They won't shut up. I've been in a few places like that where they were nice restaurants and the table next to us was loud and boisterous and interruptive and it ruined our whole meal. You had to sit there and listen to the idiots. I mean, happiness depending on circumstances or pleasant environment, that's not the happiness Jesus is talking about. That's a neutral happiness. That's a pseudo-happiness. For beyond all the moments of the good times, there will come the bad times, the routine times, even dull times. You will never be sustained. and You can never be carried by the good times of the past. They're just memories. That's all. This neutral happiness, this false happiness, it will not sustain you. It will not motivate you. It will not encourage the believer in times of adversity or times of testing. Instead of true happiness, the world, the cosmic system, offers a temporary fix, and that is followed by self-induced misery and eventually divine discipline. Much like the drug addict that looks for the high and gets his temporary fix and then goes from the highest of high to the lowest of lows. You can do that too when you are looking for happiness in people or circumstances. Because the true biblical happiness that I'm talking about used as a problem-solving device is not related to some stimuli in life. It's something we have within us all the time, and it relates to the soul and the spirit, not to your body, not to your circumstances. And therefore, capacity for happiness has to precede the function of happiness. See, if you don't have capacity for happiness, then you don't have contentment, because these two words go together. If you have contentment, then you have capacity. Remember when David said, my cup runneth over? That's capacity. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all, this, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you have capacity, God can fill up your cup. But it only comes when you're content with what you have. You see, if you're content with what you have, then whatever God gives you won't distract you. But if you're not content with what you have, then you're going to want more and more and more and nothing Nothing will satisfy you because you're not content. Are you content today? Do you have this sort of contentment in your life that in spite of people, in spite of circumstances, in spite of what you're facing, you're happy? If not, then you need to confess your sin to God. Your sin of anger and bitterness and frustration, let God hear it. Tell him. Rebound, be filled with the Spirit, learn God's Word, and develop true capacity for happiness, which comes from wisdom and understanding. You will be much better off when you do that. I hope you're listening, and I hope you're paying attention. It's a critical message for you to learn. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, 
please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.